Good morning, church. It's good to see you all. Hey, regardless of how we're walking in this morning, if we've had the best week of our lives or if we're coming in uh, broken and hurting this morning, God sees you and he loves you. And this truth remains the same, that we have a Savior that conquered sin and death. He rose from the grave and he's worth celebrating. Amen. And so church, let's stand together as we sing songs of worship this morning. now a hope that lasts beyond our day for the one that once was buried lives again now the tomb is barren empty and the stone is rolled away praise the risen Before you have a seat, if you see any seats to your left, if you could scoot to the left end of your aisle, uh, it's, uh, it's really helpful for our ushers, and then you can have a seat. Well, hey, my name is Ryan Burton. I'm a worship leader here at Fellowship Fayetteville. 
Um, excited to lead you all in worship this morning and excited for some upcoming events we have next week. We've got a couple of things going on. We've got Single and Significant, a potluck that is happening in FSM um, at 1230 next week. And so that's just right across the way there. And that's for single women uh, 50 and older. So whether you're single by um, choice or circumstance, this is for you. We're going to have an old-fashioned potluck. And so come be a part of that. You can sign up there with the QR code. Also next week, we're having what we're calling a Spectra-led service. And so what that looks like is all of our creative, Spectra is our creative ministry. And so we have a lot of creatives that have come together to help lead you all in worship next week. And so we're going to have uh, poems that are read. We're going to have video content. We're going to share this story, this incredible story of Mephibosheth and David's kindness towards him. And so we're going to tell that in a really uh, different way. And so it's not going to be the normal, we sing songs and then there's a teaching and then we respond in songs, but it's going to be a creative service. And so I am very, very excited about it. Um, I hope that you all get excited about it as well. Um, but I'm, I'm just really elated to see um, our creatives lead you all in worship next week. So don't miss out on that. That's just normal service times here next Sunday. And then lastly, we have a ministry called Reconnect that started up just about a year ago. And it's a nursing home ministry, but it focuses specifically in memory care facilities. And so here at Fellowship Fayetteville, we have really poured in specifically to uh, Avenir Memory Care, which is right down the streets between here and Sam's Club. And we've ta been taking musicians over there every other week for the, about the past year. And we've been leading those residents in worship. And so if you like the bluegrass Sundays that we have a couple times a year, that's what it's like. And so we'll, we'll come, we'll bring our acoustic instruments, and we'll play these old hymns. And it's been absolutely incredible to, to see these folks and to hear these stories of people that maybe haven't spoken a word since they've gotten to this facility, but then we start singing these hymns and they start singing and they start raising their hands in worship. And it's been a really powerful experience for those of us that have been involved in it the past year or so. And so if you would like to get connected with that, uh, my email address is up on the screen there. Shoot me an email um, if you're a singer and want to sing. But really what we're looking for specifically is a new facilitator position. And so the idea that we have behind this is it's somebody that comes in, and maybe you don't have uh, a lick of musical talent, but you can come in and you can talk, speak with these people. You can talk and have a conversation with them. It's something that they really long for. And we've found as musicians, when we're coming in and we're setting up and we're, we're playing these songs, we don't always have the time that we want to be able to share in conversation with these individuals. So if you're interested in jumping in from time to time uh, and just hanging out and just being with these residents, uh, please email me here. Again, my email address is there on the screen. And that's it for my announcements. Y'all hang tight and check out this video. Hello, Fellowship. Thank you for participating in the elder nomination process. After a deliberate season of prayer, discussion, and seeking the heart of God, our elders have three new candidates for the Office of Elder to present to you. Hello, Fellowship. My name is Bill Fries. My wife, Lee, and I have been attending Fellowship for over 15 years. During that time, I've been blessed to be part of small group ministry such as community group leader, welcome and connection team member, prayer team member, and Discover Fellowship support. Our faith has grown from being members at Fellowship Church, and it's a humbling honor to be nominated as an elder candidate. Hi, Fellowship. My name is Charles Greathouse. My family and I have been attending Fellowship since 2008. My wife, Susan, and I have three children, Jonathan, Zachary, and Charlotte. I'm so grateful for how our body has encouraged, challenged, and led our family to the Word of God over the years. From engaging in and leading community groups to serving in FSM as a cell group leader, I have felt His hand at work in this place and through His people. I'm so very humbled and honored to serve you all as an elder candidate at Fellowship. Hi, my name is Nick Rowland, and my wife Cassie and I have been a part of Fellowship for 15 years married together and then many more years before that. And Fellowship has been a part of my journey walking with Jesus uh, in so many ways. Going back to middle school and growing up in FSM, I was discipled here and I was taught how to serve here. 
And as I moved into college and adult years volunteering in the student ministry and, and reaching a point in my adult life, my early adult life, where I became aware of the desperation of my hurts and my hangups and my habits. And at that time, Celebrate Recovery was a crucial place for me to begin the process of healing. And uh, I've been able to serve in student ministry, on the worship team, in the training center, community groups, and preaching. And it's been just a wonderful place for, for my wife and I to grow. We have a 12-year-old daughter uh, who is thriving here, and my wife serves in the, in, has served in many capacities, currently serves on the worship team. One of the things I appreciate most about this church is the fact that the focus is always put on Jesus and not on any one personality or leader. And so we all are broken people who need Jesus and need grace, and yet the Holy Spirit empowers us to serve in a lot of different ways, and that's a really exciting thing to be a part of. Uh, I'm deeply humbled and honored to be considered as an elder candidate. Thank you, Bill, Charles, and Nick for your willingness to participate in the elder nomination process as a candidate for the office of elder. It's a tremendous responsibility to be an elder of Fellowship Bible Church. Your willingness to be a candidate speaks highly of your character, integrity, commitment to Christ, and service to God through fellowship. Now, if you are a member of our church, we have one more request of you. If for some biblical reason, you feel you cannot follow a particular candidate's leadership, please email me, mirapier at fellowshipnwa.org, stating your biblical objection, and please do so no later than Thursday, February the 29th. After receiving your notice, I will call you personally, and we can discuss your objection, which must have merit based on biblical elder qualifications. We require that all elders have 100% affirmation from our body. If you have no objection, we assume that you are affirming the candidates the elders have set forth from the pool of nominees you provided. Please pray for these new candidates as well as our current elders. And finally, we would like to thank Roger Hill and Scott Thompson for their years of faithful service as elders. They have represented our body well and will now become shepherding elders. If you see them, express your gratitude and appreciation for their years of faithful service. Blessings to each of you. Well, good morning, Fellowship. Hey, my name is Brian Pope. I'm the Global Director here at Fellowship, and I wanted to share a quick story with y'all. And to be honest with you, it's one of those stories that if somebody told me or if I wasn't there to witness it myself, uh, I'd probably question just... Did that really happen? But I was on a short-term mission trip. Uh, we'd, take, we'd taken high school students over to Thailand. It was the first time that I'd ever gone to the Eastern Hemisphere for a, for a mission trip. And we teamed up with the missionaries there. And we're going into the jungle to work with Burmese who had come across the border. And they were working on these rubber plantations and living in the jungle there. And we're just going house to house to, to people that he uh, had been ministering to. And we went into this house and we sat on the floor, and I had the strongest cup of coffee that I've ever had in my life. And we began just to share the gospel uh, with this guy who was there, who was the, the head of his family. And, you know, after talking to him for a long time and kind of clearly laying out what the gospel was, he just kind of said, you know, wasn't interested in doing that. And we were like, okay, you know, no problem. And uh, as we got up to leave and we got outside of his house, he stopped us and he says, hey, can I ask you a question? He goes, I keep having this same dream over and over again, and I was wondering if you could tell, us, tell me what it meant. And we're like, yeah, well, yeah, tell us, tell us the dream. And he goes, I, I keep having this dream that uh, I'm on this trail, and my family is following me, and they're following me wherever I go, and all around us is just a, a huge fire. And we're safe as long as we stay on the trail, but if we veer off the trail, we, we get into the fire and we be, begin to become burned and injured. And my family is just following me as I journey on this. And I remember my jaw just dropping and him saying, could you tell me what that means? And the missionary was like, yeah, I can, I can tell you what that means. And me, myself, I was like, I can tell you what that means. And, and he began to pack the scripture of that there's the wide gate and the wide road, and many are on it, but it leads to destruction. 
But Jesus calls us to go through the narrow gate and the narrow road, and that leads to life. As he began to share that, you, you saw this guy just, just tuned in, and at the end he says, yes, I'm ready to do that. And he prayed to receive Christ. And I remember thinking for myself personally on this trip that God communicated very clearly to me. He says, quit putting me in the box. Quit putting me in the box. And I, be, I found out that I became very kind of formulaic in my relationship with God. And God is saying, I will still do stuff that blows your minds. And I bring that up because we're really excited that this spring break that we're going to have um, in Northwest Arkansas, not just through our church, but through campus ministries in our church, we're going to have hundreds of high school and college students going on these short-term trips. And I really believe that God's going to do amazing things of where they're going, but also in their personal lives. And I just want to ask if you are going on one of those spring break trips, and it doesn't have to be with fellowship, if you're going on a spring break trip, please stand up. And we just want to pray over you uh, right now. Ah. Oh. Is this not awesome? So, hey, join me in praying for these students. Stay standing. Dear God, we believe that you're a God who still works miracles and still does things that we can't explain and we can't put into a box, dear God. The only box that's out there is the one that you've revealed through Scripture where you describe who you are, dear God. And when I read those words, I still see you doing incredible, incredible things. And God, I don't know what's going to happen on these trips. I don't know what you're going to do in the lives of these students or through them. But God, we pray that you would just use them to take the gospel to people who've never heard it before and to clearly explain it. And through them that you would call new people into your family. And we'd also pray that you would change the people going, dear Lord. May they experience and see you in new ways that they'd never imagined before. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Church, would you stand with us as we continue to worship this morning?
faithful even when we are not faithful and so let's come before him this morning let's confess our areas of unfaithfulness heavenly father have mercy on us we have not loved you as you deserve we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves we have not obeyed you as we should lord forgive us our sin we are in need of a savior and even in our unfaithfulness he loves us still, and he, in fact, did send that Savior for us. Our unfaithfulness taken upon the cross, just as we remembered this past Wednesday at Ash Wednesday, as, as those of you that came when we wrote and we confessed our sins on that black sheet, and it's hanging there on the cross to remind us that it's been paid for by Jesus. And so let's remember that good news this morning. Believe the good news that Jesus died for us. Jesus rose for us. Jesus intercedes for us. In him, we are a new creation. In him, we have forgiveness of sin. In him, we have a savior. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And church, you can have a seat. And as you see, we get to celebrate this morning with baptism. Well, good morning, everyone. I have the great privilege this morning of baptizing my dear brother, Scott McCall. Scott, it's great to see you this morning, this moment. Scott accepted Christ years ago here at Fellowship, sitting in a service just like you are. And he said it just came over him. The message, had, and my wife happened to be up with me that morning, and, and she was giving her testimony. And he said the Lord just came over him, and uh, he accepted Christ there. Uh, he wasn't baptized immediately, and, and uh, that really didn't become an issue for him until his son Cooper asked about being baptized. And then Scott said, you know what? I need to be baptized too. That may be your story this morning. Maybe you've accepted Christ, but you've not followed the Lord in baptism. Well, it's never, ever too late. And so, Scott, my dear brother, is it your testimony that you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? Yes, it is. And you want to follow him all the days of your life. Yes. And Father, we pray for Scott McCall. We pray for, Lord, his life, for his legacy. Lord, I know this guy's witness is, is known far and wide because he is a follower of you. I pray, dear God, that you would empower him to just speak your word into the lives of other people and to live it faithfully before his family and friends. And it's in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit that I baptize my brother. The old is past and the new has come. Celebrate that. God bless you. There is a king seated among us. Let every heart receive him now. Where there is praise, he will inhabit. There will be grace and mercy all around. Every burden will be lifted in His presence. Every trophy will be laid down at His feet. There is a name that reigns above all. stand together and worship. And unto the land Power, oh, he 
is a lie and the stone is rolled away and all our
Church, you can have a seat. We have a really special morning because Scott, who was just baptized, is now going to baptize his son, Cooper. Hold on, it's not on. Hello? Is that working? Okay. Um, this is Cooper McCall, um, and I get the privilege today uh, to talk a little bit uh, about the, how the Lord has moved in his life. Uh, Cooper grew up in a pretty ideal home. Uh, he had a loving family who surrounded him with the gospel from birth. Uh, he seemed to always have a lot of friends, played all the sports. It was everything a kid could want. <clears throat> uh, I mainly became friends with him uh, in high school, and we became a part of fr a friend group that built our relationships in Christ. Uh, but it always wasn't perfect for Cooper. He grew more of a sense of anxiety uh, throughout high school, and he always had a lingering worry that he might not really be saved. Uh, but in fear of embarrassment or judgment, he ignored those thoughts and reassured himself that he did know God. Once I truly got to know him, we started talking more about those thoughts, doubts, and anxieties. But just like Cooper himself, we all thought he had a relationship with Christ and it would all work itself out. Fast forward to college, he rushed to fraternity, and from the outside looking in, it looked like everything was just getting better and better. He met some older believers and some guys that really pursued and poured into him, and that's something he hadn't really experienced before. So he followed these guys to a summer project to expand his faith called Kaleo, where he would further invest in those relationships. After facing lots of doubt and whether he truly gave his life to Christ, he had a conversation with an older guy in his fraternity about the Holy Spirit and what it really was. They read through Romans six through eight, and suddenly he had found some clarification. Cooper knew about God. He understood the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and he even would have said that he believed in those things. But the thing that he was missing was a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. And that night, Cooper really gave his life to Christ. 
He called me and one other buddy shortly after, and it kind of caught us off guard. That night, I saw a new confidence, excitement, and honestly, a whole new side of him that I hadn't really seen before. That night, the Holy Spirit was already active in Cooper's new life. So today, I no longer know Cooper as the shy kid who didn't talk much about his faith. Instead, I know him as a man whose heart has been saved and transformed through a faith in a powerful, loving Savior. And he is here today to take another step of obedience to that Savior through baptism. Thank you. This is also a Cooper. Thank you, Cooper. Good morning. Uh, Cooper's the son of my wife, Stephanie, and I, and, and the brother of two sisters, uh, Kayla and Kendall. Cooper's been attending fellowship since he's been born 20 years ago. Through a series of conversations with us and, and many others, uh, Cooper's ready to make this outward expression of an inward change represented in baptism. It's been a blessing to watch him grow in his faith over the years. And so, Cooper, is it your testimony that you have trusted Jesus Christ to pay for your sins and give you eternal life? With that confession of faith, it is my honor to now baptize you, my brother in Christ, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in a new life. It's me now? We don't have another baptism. Okay, another, another baptism. Right. Okay, next service we have another baptism. Hey, everybody, how you doing? It's good to see you this morning. Man, that's awesome, isn't it? Have two baptisms in one service. Let's have more. If you've not been baptized, you find yourself in the same situation as Cooper or Scott, you say, I need to be baptized. Come on, let's do it. We will figure that out for you, okay? Make that statement to the world that I am a follower of Christ. Hey, we want to make you aware of something. Over the next few weeks and months, you may be encouraged to sign a petition if you're in a parking lot somewhere. This is from Arkansans for Limited Government, and they'll ask you to sign a petition to, a petition to limit government overreach in health care. Now, that's a little bit misleading. Actually, it's a lot misleading because what they're asking you to do is sign a petition that would legalize abortion. It would put an amendment on the, on the ballot uh, this coming November. It would, if passed, it would give more legal rights to abortion than what there was before Roe versus Wade was overturned. So we are a pro-life church. We believe in the sanctity of human life from the womb to the tomb. And we want to make you aware of this. This is not a political issue. This is a moral and ethical issue. If our government were to say to you, hey, it's okay to go ahead and steal, we would tell you, no, that's against the moral law of God. You should not do that. And so we simply want to make you aware so you're educated in this. On another matter, I want to make you aware. Thank you, number one, for participating in the elder nomination process. You uh, saw the new candidates this morning. But uh, you may have heard that uh, we have purchased land between Farmington and Prairie Grove. And that is partly true. Uh, we see that there is great opportunity and possibilities in that part of the county to reach more people for Christ, which is why we exist, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Just making sure about that. That's the reason we exist. And so we've been looking at property out there as a possibility, and um, it was all under contract. Uh, but this piece of property that we really, really liked came open. And so took that back to our elders, and we have uh, merely uh, made an offer on this land. It's been accepted, but we have a period of time where we can do due diligence uh, about that property, look at the zoning, look at water, sewer, electricity, all those things, uh, to pray through that whether or not God wants us to move forward with that as a possibility in the future. We did plot a building on that land, what it would look like, just to make sure that everything would work. And so I'm showing you this this morning because I know how rumors fly, and I want you to know everything that I know and everything the elders know, and simply ask you to pray with us whether or not we should move forward in something like this, because there are more people to reach. Okay? Got it? 
All right. There are no plans other than that. You know everything that I know. All right. We are in the book of 2 Samuel this morning, 2 Samuel chapter 7, and we are studying the life of King David who reigned from 1011 to 971 B.C., over 3,000 years ago. Two weeks ago, we saw David face the giant Goliath. And I would submit to you that last week we saw him face a giant as well, the giant of whether or not to exact revenge on Saul, the king who was trying to kill him. But David faced this giant and determined that he would not do it because he was not going to touch the Lord's Lord's anointed. I would submit to you that he is facing a giant again this week in that he has to face God's redirect in his life. And we'll study more about that in just a moment. Uh, as, as you look uh, on the screen, uh, you're going to see the study that we're doing right now. But look also at the life of David, if we could put that up there. Look how long between the defeat of Goliath until the time he was crowned king. It was a long time when Saul was after him, a long time that he had to be patient. I want to begin today with a word. And this word is the last word of our assigned passage today. It's a word that should bring hope to each of us. It is a key word in understanding the Davidic covenant, the basis of what we're studying today. It's seven little letters, seven simple letters that should bring you hope whenever the shadows begin to fall over your life. And that word is this one. Underline it in 2 Samuel 7, 16. It's used twice forever. Forever. It's an incredible word that only God has the capacity to understand forever. Second Samuel 7, 16. Let me put it in context for you. God says to David, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Forever. God's promise to David, the Davidic covenant, your house, your kingdom, your throne. It will be a Davidic dynasty. When he says throne, he's not talking about furniture. The Davidic dynasty will last forever. Now, what does this mean to us? Today's passage is one of the most important in all of the Bible. It shows us the very nature of God's plan of redemption for mankind. The old pastor John Woodhouse wrote, the words of 2 Samuel chapter 7 have shaped the history of the world and all eternity. In this chapter, God makes a covenant with David. It's called the Davidic covenant. It follows other unconditional covenants of the Old Testament. It is an outgrowth and an extension of the Abrahamic covenant, land, seed, and blessing. Scholars debate just how many true covenants there are. I'm going to put a QR code on your screen and you can get your phone out because I'd like you to scan this, capture it or whatever you do with these things. Uh, But uh, you can grab that. And our old friend Tommy Nelson has done a little summary of eight covenants of the Old Testament. And he explains it succinctly. And I think you would enjoy watching this and hanging on to this, maybe sharing it with other people. But the Davidic covenant, as I said, it's irrevocable, unconditional. It's a promise of God. It's a source of the messianic hope. And it's related to over 40 biblical passages. Psalm 2, Psalm 89, Psalm 110, Psalm 132, all affirm this covenant. Ezekiel 37, Zechariah 14, Revelation 19, Revelation 22, all refer back to the Davidic covenant. And I'll share more scriptures with you later. The near application of the Davidic covenant is the descendants of David. It's something you need to understand about this covenant. There is a near application and an ultimate fulfillment. Otherwise, you will read it and you'll be confused. A near application and a distant ultimate fulfillment of the messianic kingdom of Christ. Theologians debate and will continue to debate. And remember, we are all theologians. Every one of us are theologians. The question is, are we good theologians or bad theologians? But theologians, good ones, will continue to debate whether the Davidic covenant is being fulfilled right now with Christ sitting at the right hand of God or whether there will be an ultimate fulfillment 
that can only be fulfilled during the millennial kingdom of Christ. And then there are other theologians that debate. They say, no, it's already not yet. It's a partial fulfillment now as he's seated at the right hand of God, but it will be ultimately fulfilled when he returns to the earth. I want to tell you this morning, I don't think it's a good use of our time to parse all those different debates because here's where they all agree, that Christ is the ultimate king and he will ultimately reign. Is that okay if you if we just stick with that? Christ will be our king. And so let's be happy with that this morning. But I encourage you to go ahead and study it on your own. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says no. We don't like to be told no, do we? I see a few of you going, no, don't like to be told no. I've been told no by God. There have been times when I've prayed to him for certain things that I really wanted and and God didn't answer in the way that I wanted. My mother, she was an expert at telling me no when I was growing up. No. The elders have told me no before. Before I was a part of the elder board, there were things that, that I thought were great ideas and the elders said no. Were they right? Every single time, every time they were right. I learned early on in my ministry here to trust the wisdom, to trust God working through our elders for the good of our body, to listen to God speaking in and through them. And I'm sure you've been in situations where God has told you no. But being told no is not always a reprimand, is it? It's not always a reprimand. Sometimes it's just that God knows more than we do. We may never know his plan or his way this, time, this side of heaven, but God knows what's better. For instance, when I go to Walmart and I've got my two little grandsons in the car, I'm telling them no before they ever get out. I don't want their feet to hit the ground, and, and I'm telling you what they'll do. They just take off in different directions. And I'm telling them, no, when you get out of the car, hold my hand. Do not run across that parking lot. It's it's a warning because I understand things about that parking lot that they don't. They watch cartoons. Something gets run over. It just pops up and runs off again. I know it's not that way. I know things that they don't. God knows things that we don't. And so sometimes when God says no, He has a greater reason. And sometimes God says no, because he has a better plan. No, you can't have ice cream. Ryan Burton is an excellent, excellent ice cream guy. He can tell you the best ice cream to eat. You know, Burton's ice cream. That's Ryan Burton. The guy was leading worship up here a minute ago. He knows ice cream. No, you can't have ice cream. Why? Because you need to get the protein. And the veggies first. And then you can have ice cream later. You have a better plan in mind. Correct? Sometimes God has a better plan in mind for us. As he did with David. So 2 Samuel 7 verse 1. Let's look at it. After the king was settled in his palace. And the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. David finally had a measure of peace. Saul was dead. He had died in battle and his body was hung on the gate there at Beit Shon. The Philistines, as you'll see in the next chapter, will soon be defeated. He won't have to worry about them anymore. His palace had been built on the southern slope of Mount Zion and life was good. Everything was good for David. And he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar you see, they, they lived in houses of stone, but they would import, the wealthiest of them would import cedar and put it over the stone, and so they would have beautiful houses. Here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. And Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. Surely he was. And it seems that David had the best of intentions to build a more permanent dwelling for the presence of Yahweh. It was a great idea, right? Even Nathan, the prophet, said, do it. But it seems that David and Nathan got ahead of God. They surely got ahead of themselves, but they got ahead of God. 
We can do that sometimes, can't we? A great idea, even accompanied by the best of intentions, isn't always the best idea. It isn't always the best. We can justify anything, can't we? You give us long enough, especially us guys, we can justify anything, but it may not be the right thing. That's why our elders, we pray and we pray and we pray over issues that we're addressing. The elders, the nominees that we presented to you today, we've been praying for this for over a year. That you would give us nominees that we could give back to you candidates that would serve on this board. We pray and pray and pray. Years ago, Ed Parrish, one of our current elders, shared with us in a meeting that we should never get ahead of the light. And that has become something of a mantra for us. Don't get ahead of the light. Don't get ahead of God, which is what David and Nathan did. And so God responds with two questions. Verse four. But that night, that very night, God didn't wait around. But that night, uh oh, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. That's always a scary thing. This is what the Lord says. Here's the first question. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in the house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites. Here's the second question. Did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built for me a house of cedar? Have I asked for this? Have I asked you to do it? Have I asked anybody to do it? No. And so now he gives David a history lesson. Now then tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and cut off all your enemies from before you. We need a humbling reminder like that from time to time. God said, I have done everything for you. Everything you have, I have done for you. As parents do, I was reminding one of my kids one time of all the things that we had done for them. And I got the response back, well, that's your job. Yeah, that wasn't that good. I won't tell you which one said that. That's your job. We need to remember that God has done everything for us. He's done everything for us. He had done everything for David, and he reminds him of this. But now he's going to do something very special. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning. And have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people, Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. In the Abrahamic covenant, God told Abraham that he would make his name great. He would give him land and seed and blessing. And as I said, this is an outgrowth. It's an extension of the Davidic covenant. Verse 11b. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. Rather than David building a house, a temple for God, God is going to build a house, a throne, a dynasty through David's lineage. He said, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, mark that. I think this is such a peaceful way to describe death. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors. That's God's view of death for us, is rest. Your days here of struggle will be over. And it's a good reminder for us of how we should invest our lives in eternity. This life is our one chance to prepare for eternity. Why would we not invest everything we have, everything we are in our word, 
forever. Why would we not invest in forever? When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And now he describes for us the near application. Solomon, I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him. This certainly isn't Christ. I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. David would later on tell Solomon why he wasn't allowed to build a temple for the Lord. We find that in 1 Chronicles 22, 6. Let me read it for you. Then he called for his son Solomon, David called for his son Solomon, and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. But this word of the Lord came to me. You have shed much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth and in my sight. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace. And rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon, and I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. We need to remember that David wasn't just this sweet kid with the auburn hair who played music to soothe Saul's troubled soul. He was a warrior. He was a man of war. He was not the one to build the temple. And so we come to verse 16, the promise. Your house, your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. The Davidic dynasty. While it's not called a covenant here in 2 Samuel 23, 5, it is called a covenant. David said, if my house were not right with God, surely he would not have made with me an everlasting covenant. The rest of the Old Testament and the New Testament describe for us the extension of the Davidic covenant, beginning in Isaiah 9, 6, one that you are very, very familiar with. For to us a child is born, to us a son of given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on what? David's throne. And over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The first verse of the New Testament, Matthew 1.1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew 9.27, and Jesus went on from there. Two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. Matthew 15.22, a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Matthew 29, the triumphal entry, or 21.9. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Luke 1.32, the message of the angel. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Revelation 5, 5. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the seven seals. And we know that's the beginning of the seals and the trumpets and the bowls and the ultimate and final judgment. And in the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation twenty two sixteen, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to you, this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring 
of David. God had a better plan. God said, no, David, you can't build my house. I have a better plan. So here's the question. When God said no, how did David respond? We don't like to be told no. Sometimes we can get angry with God when he doesn't answer things in the way that we would like for him to. But here in one of the most significant statements in all the Bible, your assignment this week is to study how David responded in the rest of this chapter. And I'll give you a hint. This was another giant to be redirected by God. But this is what David did. You read it for yourself. He trusted the sovereignty of God and he worshiped. He went before God and worshiped. He says in there, how great are you, sovereign Lord. We should respond in the same way. How great is our God. Oh, sing with me. How great is our God. And all will sing how great, how great is our God. Would you stand with me as we respond in worship? Sing name above all names. He's the name above all names. He's worthy of all praise. And my heart will sing how great is our God. Sing that chorus one more time. How great is our God. How great is our God. Oh, sing with me. How great is our God. And oh, sing. How great is our God. Let's believe that this morning. Let's leave this room believing that and singing that. If you would like to take communion, communion is available through the doors on your left. If you would like to pray with someone, prayer team is available through the doors on your right. Have a great week of worship, church. We'll see you next week.